History happened everywhere. The verdict. This is our after-show podcast where we look back at the most recent episode, episode 52, Hell or High Water in Latvia during 2005 to 2010. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and check it out or else there are going to be spoilers ahead. I really couldn't care less. Hello and welcome to History Happened Everywhere, The Verdict. My name is Ryan Weir and I am here in the HHE studio with the dish soap to my brush. It's Mr. Peter Goddard. You're a brush user, not a sponge or a scratchy thing. Who uses a sponge? And with us, as always, it's HHE's Doctor of Daintiness. It's the Honourable Judge Dursley. I've never heard of dish soap. It's the soap you use to clean your dishes. It's it's washing up liquid. Peter, you were at a barbecue yesterday? I was indeed. How was it? It was delicious. Paul, you been to a barbecue? Not for a long time, no. Do you know what I like about a barbecue? The barbecue sauce. Isn't it all molasses and sugars? I think it is quite sugary. It would explain why I like it so much. (laughs) (laughs) I now drink it from the bottle. (laughs) But enough of this tish and tosh. Peter, it would serve us all rather well if you wouldn't mind somehow summarising your Latvian adventure in, let's say, 60 seconds. I'm here to serve, Ryan. When would you like me to start? I say do it... now. I took Ryan on a tour of the filling of the Baltic sandwich, the small but perfectly formed nation of Latvia, where we discovered that between 2005 and 2010 they were hit harder than possibly any other nation by the global financial crash. Unemployment soared, corruption was commonplace and people were fed up. But the people would not be beaten and we met Eric Jacobson, the Latvian Rambo, a hacker known as Neo, who leaked thousands of documents embarrassing the government. We learned of the March of the Blondes, who were determined to cheer everybody up, and the 2005 inaugural Gay Pride March, in which the gay community of Latvia demonstrated that they were here to stay come hell or high water. Latvia, aha, aha, we liked it. That was last week's episode done. Summarised nicely, nice one, son. Now we're over to a young Dursley who's going to tell you what he thought of me. He'll take you apart without any care. He's the lovely Paul Dursley. The lovely Paul Dursley. I received a very expensive parcel on Friday. Oh, it arrived. Oh, yes, it's arrived. And I found a bottle of black liquid. It sort of looked like Coca-Cola, and I hate Coca-Cola. Well, good news, it's not Coca-Cola. It no. sounds very much like it might have the, the all the hallmarks of black balsam, the national drink of Latvia that we had in the episode. Yes, um, and I've just poured it out. I don't know whether you're supposed to take it over ice, but I have. Ah, oh, that's the clinking sound I'm hearing. I thought the milkman was coming round. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so are you going to take a sip then? Yes. I can picture his lips. <laughs> <laughs> suckling on the edge of the glass. Distinguishing all of the botanicals. <laughs> I'll have to have another. Ooh. So what's your verdict? I, I think it is a classic curate's egg. 
What is a curate's egg? Well, it just means good in parts. Ah, okay. Not, not in others. It derives, yeah. I believe, from a cartoon in which a curate is asked if his egg is off, and he's a very polite man, so he says, only in parts. Oh, uh, okay. What a funny cartoon. <laughs> it's from that time where the cartoons, you'd like them and go, hmm, okay, that's funny, is it? <laughs> Some would say that humour is timeless. Others would say not at all. <laughs> so, uh, so tell us, um, you, you like it? Would you, would you buy a bottle of it? I'm not sure I buy a bottle of it, but I will finish this glass. It's a shame because I've got a bottle to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're giving it away, I'll have it. Um, Keyword was sell. <laughs> it's quite mellow at the start, and it has a really weird, bitter middle note. Yeah, when Ryan and I taste things, it's yucky or yummy. <laughs> That's pretty much the extent of our analysis. But you're bringing something new to the table. So I think if that with tonic water would be rather nice. I'm going to go and get some to top it up okay. and see what it's like. All right, let's do it. Just give me a sec. We're now ex- in the experimental cocktail stage. <laughs> this like is to- an unusual verdict. This is my best chance for an A, is that he <laughs> has half a bottle of black balsam before the end of the episode. He's <laughs> drunk enough to give me a good grade. <laughs> While he's gone, don't you think that black balsam would be a good superhero? Absolutely. Right? I don't know quite what their power is. <laughs> just soothing. <laughs> it just sounds great. So it's all right. Everything's going to be all right. You believe him. Oh, my God. That's amazing power. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan Freeman would voice Black Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's back. Stop talking about comic characters. So it now, now looks even more like Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's much better with tonic water. Ah, okay. okay you heard it here first. Yes, Ryan. I understand we've had some feedback on your episode. Very correct. Some of our YouTube listeners have kindly got in touch. Mm -hmm. YouTube user Politics in a Nutshell, weirdly doesn't talk about politics, but talks about the flags. You remember I said it was a carmine red stripe on top and bottom with a little white stripe in between. And they say to us that the red is a dark to represent blood. There's a legend of the Latvian pagan leader who was injured in battle and died on a white sheet, leaving the middle white and the sides covered in blood. And the pagans later used that sheet when going into battle. The bloody Uh, sheet. Now, funnily enough, We've heard this story before. Have we? Because I think it was the Austria episode where they have a very similar legend. So either there's a lot of bloody sheets going around or uh, the one story going around. I'm not sure which it is. A lot of bloody sheets. People were injured a lot. People would then lie on a bed or some sort of sheet covered object. I'm not sure I'd want to be the standard bearer in that situation. (laughs) Yes. Could you fly this just above your head? I'd rather not. It might drip on you. (laughs) Well, you'd let it dry, but then actually blood turns sort of brown, doesn't it, when it dries? Yes. So really, all these flags should just be brown flags. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I'm grateful for them writing in and letting us know that. That's awesome. I am too. And we have a second write-in from uh, Yanis Eglins, who says, Heroes and villains aren't always so clear-cut. 
Now, if you recall, we had a lot of tales of determination and heroism, really, I described it as. But uh, Yanis says that Eriks Jakobsen, you remember the Latvian Rambo, was part of the same party as Einar's Slessers, who you may not remember, you only got a little mention. He was the one who denounced the gay march as being a parade of perversion uh, and was very much the bad guy in the story as I told it. But in fact, both uh, Eric Jacobson's and Einar Slessor were part of the same party. And that was a party that also helped push through anti-gay marriage amendments in Parliament. So uh, our man, the Latvian Rambo, who I uh, portrayed as all hero, it's a mixed message. He was a Christian fundamentalist and uh, in this case was on the, in my opinion, very much the wrong side of the debate when it came to gay marriage. Heroes and villains. So actually, the other thing I didn't mention last episode was there was, it wasn't relevant to the topic, but I wanted to talk about it because it was quite interesting. They have another march uh, that was quite controversial in which Latvian World War II veterans march, so far so non-controversial, but some of them are members of the Latvian Waffen SS, the Nazi German SS. So yes, the... To some people, the Latvians who fought on the side of the German army are primarily remembered as having opposed Soviet forces. And where the Soviets were considered the greater enemy, there's less of a concern, if you will, about the people who fought on the side of the Germans. So the Germans, in a way, can be perceived as well, again, it's an enemy of my enemy situation rather than necessarily good guys and bad guys. Yes. So out of sheer convenience, suddenly somebody who fought for the Nazis was actually fighting against the Soviet occupiers as became. And the Soviets are not very popular in Latvia in many quarters. So there's a march where, which I don't think you'd see, I'm not sure if it's still going today, it was certainly uh, some years ago, where people who marched saying, yeah, I remember being part of the SS, which is a remarkable situation. It's very controversial, don't get me wrong, there are not loads of Latvians cheering as the SS marched through town. Uh, there are plenty of people who were strongly opposed to it but it's something that would be unthinkable in most other countries but it's a bit similar to the finnish situation you know my enemy's enemy is my friend mm. you know after the winter winter war where the soviet union attacked um, finland so finland when they joined the second world war they joined it on the german side to fight the soviets the world's a complex place isn't it it is especially when you're little latvia that literally was just pushed between soviet occupation nazi occupation soviet occupation again you know and it only in the 90s get to be latvia again <laughs> yeah i mean with our modernizers it's difficult to to perhaps understand why people might celebrate nazis but given the history oh. well i mean there's plenty of germans who fought and you're not necessarily a nazi well maybe not ss it's 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 you know, fighting as a soldier as opposed to a political entity. Wasn't wasn't it after Rommel was forced to shoot himself, Churchill stood up in the middle of the war praising Rommel for being a great soldier. So, you know, he, he stacked his guns and caused lots of British and Allied casualties. However, he fought fairly in the war and was well regarded. Whereas the sort of the SS were particularly political, whereas the army was technically apolitical. Yeah, I think overall, on balance, I would struggle to be happy if my grandfather had been fighting in the SS in particular. That's uh, a bit yeah. more than happening to fight with Germans, isn't it? But still, I think the the point of the complexities of being a Latvian, you have to pick a side. What are you going to do? Say, no, I'm going to fight for Latvia on my own or with my several hundred other colleagues versus these hundreds of thousands of people coming yeah. in from either side. You kind of almost have to pick a side, don't you? And neither of the sides are good guys. Yes. Mm. I guess it's how you celebrate it though, right? 
Well, yes, and uh, it is a controversial parade, as I said. (laughs) So I think I'm going to non-controversially come out against the Waffen SS, uh, (laughs) but very much in favour of people who very kindly leave comments on YouTube. So thank you again, guys, uh, for leaving us the comments. Yeah, I think it's fair to say the Latvian community has been very supportive of your episode. Oh, they've been great. Love a Latvian me. Yes, it was interesting you were talk when you were talking about the history of Latvia. I think you missed out or forgot a couple of things because <gasps> don't forget Latvia was huge at one point. It used to stretch all the way to the Black Sea. Was this as part of the Livonia? Livonia and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Yeah, I I did skip over quite a lot of bits of history. I didn't want to spend an hour talking about individual history items, but you are correct. It was a very successful part of Livonia, as which is Latvia and Lithuania and a bit more besides, I believe. Yes, and it was in personal union with Poland, wasn't it? So it was a vast country until it was famously partitioned three times by the other powers. What does that mean? The partitions of Poland. Have you not heard of that? No, remind me. I mean, maybe I have. Well, it was was a case of, uh, you know, Poland-Lithuania was weak. And so over time, sort of countries like Germany or Prussia and Russia and Austria took bits of it, sort of kept on nibbling at it. So there were three main periods when it sort of started off as this enormous country that stretched from the Baltic to the Black Sea. And it sort of ended up as sort of Poland and Lithuania. And then, then even then, Poland was then subsumed into Russia as a grand duchy. Yeah, they even had some colonial ambitions, didn't they? Because we actually came across Livonia in our episode on the Gambia. Yes, Courland, wasn't it? They were trying to scramble for Africa with the rest of the European land hogs. The Lithuanian Empire. Don't hear a lot about it these days, do you? Not at all. Yes, it's, it's, it's sort of one of those countries that had an overseas empire that you didn't really think about. Uh, another one was Denmark, of course. Apart from the obvious ones, they used to own the Danish Virgin Islands, which was sold to America as the American Virgin Islands. So I want to talk about stag parties, Ryan. Let's go. Uh, one of my definitions of hell was a stag party. <laughs> and the I agree with you on that. Well, indeed, the the country of Latvia had a rather unfortunate allure to particularly British stag parties. Okay. Um they were kind of rowdy unsurprisingly and uh they one in one particular instance they would like to urinate on the Freedom Monument, the big monument to the soldiers who fell for Latvian independence. That sounds like a bad thing. Very much a bad thing. One British tourist slash stag person was sentenced to five days uh, in prison. I don't know whether he served it in the end, but they normally got let off with a warning, but they just kept doing it, I guess. Five days. Yeah, but uh, there was a flip side to this, that knowing that these stag dudes were coming, Mm. the clubs of Riga would start to scam the stag parties as well. So there was a two-sided problem, which is you had scamming clubs and you had horrible stag parties. But just for your knowledge, Ryan, should Mm. you find yourself in Riga, the club's listed by the US Embassy as places to avoid include the Foxy Lounge, Roxy Club, Pink Panther and Pussy Lounge, formerly the Doll's House. <laughs> the Doll's House. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was useful information for you in case you found what yourself What goes there. on in the Pussy Lounge? Uh, I believe it's a place to relax by stroking cats, which, as we know, lowers the blood pressure. Ooh, that sounds perfectly fine. Yeah. And in a way, it's quite ironic that the guy who weed on the monument did so, because they actually have a guard, honour guard kind of thing, for the monument, which is made up of not actual soldiers, but uh, young men who are doing their military service. 
<laughs> but they only operate from nine to six. So after oh, really? six, I guess you're free to do whatever you want uh, <laughs> up until the, the point at which you get arrested and sentenced to five days in prison. Yeah, I don't want to do five days in prison, so I'm going to avoid doing that. If that's also, okay. you know, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Are you keen on urinating on national monuments, Paul? I'm not sure I've ever done it. You're not sure? I was hoping for a more definitive answer. <laughs> Talking of cascades of water, though. (laughs) Ah, Link. (laughs) Cascades of something. Um, I want to talk about waterfalls. Yes. Because we we spoke about the the world's widest. Europe's widest. Europe, sorry. Europe's (laughs) widest. Don't overcook this. (laughs) Europe's widest waterfall. And I made a joke about how you could go over it in a barrel. And (laughs) that would be fine, right? Uh, Well, I was curious to know whether or not anyone had actually gone over the falls. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that I guess no one has. It's certainly not, not been reported in anything that I could find. But what I did find is something going up the waterfall. Is it a salmon? It's not a salmon. It's a bream. At certain times of the year, they're going to spawn. So they race towards this waterfall and try and get up that little metre, two metre high bit. In a barrel? Uh, but I did wonder, I did look back at the history of waterfall jumping or leaping or dropping, uh, whatever you want to call it. In 1829, Sam Patch, known as the Yankee Leaper, uh, he was the first <laughs> to jump down the Niagara Falls, fell 175 feet, and he survived. In a barrel? Is the barrel a, re- a required element? He just jumped down it. He went, watch this, and then leapt into Niagara Falls. And since 1850, more than 5,000 people have gone over Niagara Falls. Among those who have died are Jesse Sharp, who in 19 90 went over in a kayak and Robert Overcracker great name (laughs) name to conjure with isn't it who in 1995 used a jet ski the first to go over in a barrel though was in 1901 and it was a 63 year old school teacher called Annie Edson Taylor wow so let me tell you about her so Annie's husband died during the Civil War she settled in Michigan she learned of the Niagara Falls while she was living there and strapped for cash she decided that she was going to do like a publicity stunt make some money by going over the falls in a barrel (laughs) I mean where did the barrel come from as a notion. That bit doesn't really appear in in her story. So she decided she was going to go over and she would go over on her birthday. She claimed to be 40 years old, but records prove she was 63. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She used a leather harness to strap herself inside a custom wooden pickle barrel, five feet high by three feet wide, and had pillows which stuffed inside it to help break her fall. A small boat towed her out to the middle of the river (laughs) and then they just cut her loose. (laughs) And she was battered by the rapids, right? Because it's not just like a smooth over the top. It's like rapids, loads of rocks and stuff. So she's battered by that. And she's propelled over the edge. 20 minutes later, she arrives at the shore, battered but alive. So talking of water, I did a little research on some Pirates of the Sea. Ah, the Eurovision Masters. The Eurovision Band, that's Peppy right. Happy Pop Princess. Oh. <laughs> yeah, did you enjoy it, Judge? Did I enjoy what? The music. The noise? No, I didn't. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to find out whether they were still going. Perhaps they had a new album out. Perhaps I could 
download it immediately and enjoy it. They are they have not. <laughs> they <laughs> was not. that the high watermark for the, <laughs> the Pirates of the Sea? It was the high watermark. Very good. Uh, there were three band members. Um, so where are they now? Roberto Agostino Maloni. He's the lead singer. That's a very Baltic name. Yeah, you'd think so, but he's not. He's Sardinian. He now lives in Latvia, though, and he is a television presenter and a cookbook author. He has four books out, uh, which are available. Uh, He's represented Latvia twice at Eurovision. Once with Pirates in 2008, but also in the year before, 2007, with a group called Bonaparte. <laughs> Bonaparte. I believe we've used that as a pu- as a punchline in one of our little videos. We absolutely have, yeah. <laughs> Uh, then there's Alexandra Kurozova. Now, she's a Borum dance teacher, and she's also a trampoline jumping instructor. Excellent. And then finally, on a bit of a down note, uh, this is Yanis Valicia, TV and radio star since the 1990s. He passed away on the 9th of January 2016 from heart problems. At least he's attended Eurovision. How many people can say that? Not that many. That's very true. But I did find that... The song, Wolves of the Sea, has since been covered by a pirate-themed power metal band. Oh, nice. So I thought maybe you'd like to hear it. I do want to hear that very badly. (laughs) Pretty good, actually. I have to say, they've done it with great service in this version. I think they should bring it back to Eurovision. Have another go with this mix. This is great. I think they should stop using Eurovision songs. How about that, though? Pirate-themed power metal band. Wow. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know I liked that sort of thing. (laughs) It turns out I do. You awakened (laughs) something in me. So, yeah. So uh, there was one other thing that I just wanted to sort of mention. Uh, I did the little research, Pete, around the Blondes March. Did you? Did you now? You did a little research. Did you? For, for science, was it, Ryan? For, for the show. For education. For the education. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see your search history right now. <laughs> Yeah, you really would. Um, But yeah, so I did. And it led me down a rabbit warren of information. And what I did find is is that there were protests in 1953 when the Hollywood movie Gentlemen Prefer Blondes came out. And some brunettes and redheads protested the premiere, walking up and down with signs that said, we've got everything blondes have and unfair to brunettes and redheads. Do do I detect a tiny touch of a PR department at work there? (laughs) Yeah, it was likely a PR stunt, but... But, you know, nonetheless. Also, interestingly, Marilyn Monroe starred in that film and she did not have naturally blonde hair. Well, that's a great Dolly Parton quote, isn't it? Where someone asked her, what do you think when people say that blondes are stupid? She says, well, I don't care because I know that I'm not stupid. And I also know that I'm not blonde. It's interesting. Studies uh, that I read show that people do indeed seem to prefer blondes over brunettes or redheads or greys. Greys never get a mention. Well, we're a dying breed, literally. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so we have come to the end of the line. It is that time for you to take your step into the dock and prepare to face the people's judge. I'm ready. Judge Dursley, are you ready to give your verdict? Yes, I am. Then will the defendant please rise? Have, have you risen? Yes, I've it's, risen. It's, it's, it's an audio form. A- <laughs> <laughs> you, don't hear it. You, you can tell I'm rising by the cracks of my knees. <laughs> uh, your Honour, as usual, may we start proceedings by first asking for your verdict on number one, factual content. Well, there were lots of there were lots of facts in it. There were. Most of them were correct. Most of them. Almost all of them. Almost all of them. You hit the country. Which was a small target. <laughs> you, you covered the time period, but this hell and high water, though, there wasn't much hell in it. That's very true. Hell was missing. Sorry, I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and given that we miss, you missed out a significant chunk of your word, I'm going to dock you a point. So I'll give you a straight B. Straight B. That's a, that sounds good. It's actually not bad. I, yeah. <laughs> I was just preparing to launch an appeal, but I've thought better of it. Yeah, yeah, keep quiet on that one. Okay, uh, Your Honour, may I then ask for your verdict on entertainment value? How entertained were you? Uh, I wasn't entertained by the no- noises and the music in it, so I'm afraid there's going to be a little bit of a downer on that. But generally the entertainment was satisfactory. I will give... Plus. Okay, that's not bad. Curse you, pirates of the sea. You still knocked me down. (laughs) Should have gone for the power metal version. (laughs) And finally, Your Honour, may I ask you for your verdict on Dursley Factor? How did it tickle your bones? Well, I think Pete was talking about the wrong country for most of it, as I was expecting him to be talking more about Lithuania. That is a very Dursley Factor moment there. It was just, you were just in the neighbouring country mentally, and I was therefore incorrect. So I will give, I will give you D for that. A D for Dursley Factor. Ouch! But there's no, you can't, you can't appeal Dursley Factor, can you? He is Dursley. Silence in court. And so we reach the final verdict, Peter. Before the judge passes his verdict, you have an opportunity now to enter a plea. If you choose to do so, please make that plea now. Yes, many fine, upstanding Latvian citizens from our Latvia on Reddit and from YouTube and from the country of Latvia <laughs> all contributed to this. It is solid facts. It's la- as Latvian as you can get. And hell or high water is a single phrase of which I interpreted as determination. So the absence of hell is immaterial, sir. I put it to you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't think it worked. <laughs> Your Honour, the defendant now stands before you. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, I have. In which case, I would ask most respectfully for your ruling. I will give Peter a C. Appalled, appalled by that, the people of Latvia will rise up against Judge Dursley and create their own system of courts for this episode. Right. Well, Peter, we we now turn our attention towards me and episode 53, The Jaws of Death 
in Hong Kong during the 13th century. Yes, I'm very excited to see what you do that. Well, I can guarantee you that this one will have some real bite. I mean, as trailers go, right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. That I was quite pleased bad. with that. That wasn't bad. Yeah. Okay, well, look, there we are. That is the show for this week. Thank you all for listening. If you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show, and um, we've said some really rather contentious things, <laughs> <laughs> or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. Such as user 1000x on YouTube, who says this is a very well-made podcast. I should have used this in my uh, defence, shouldn't I? You should have done. This is a very well-made podcast and I'm an instant fan. Yeah, too late now. Is too that, late. Is that, is that you, your email address? <laughs> <laughs> and we've also heard from Karu, a real honest-to-goodness Latvian mm-hmm. and a friend of the show who's a long-time listener and oh. a fan. Hey, Karu, how are you doing? Hey, crew. Uh, said a load of lovely things about the episode. Uh, I'll just give you one snippet. You did a wonderful job. Thank you so much, Karu. Hope you keep listening. He was talking about me. Well, it doesn't specify, so... Yeah, but... Probably me. I think it's clear it was me. Might be a Dursley fan. Anyway... And one way to definitely feature on a future episode is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation can really help to bring the show to new listeners. If you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. All right. So a huge thank you to the judge himself. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. And that's it. I guess all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... I have a small confession, Ryan. Please tell me your confession, my son. During the episode, you consumed a rather substantial poppy seed bum. Yeah. It transpired that had you had a drugs test at work in the next few days after consuming said bun, yes. you may well have tested positive. For what? Opium. <laughs> Wait, what? So the professor of pharmacology at Queen Mary University, Atoll Johnson, said... If you eat a poppy seed roll, it could give rise to a positive result on a urine drug test for morphine. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, no problem. Uh, the morphine content of poppy seeds can vary a lot, um, but you won't get high. But the the tests they have for morphine are so sensitive that your poppy seeds could have triggered it and I could have made you lose your job. Sorry. Right. So I guess you're saying that you've been baking bad. Oh dear. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was going to take part in something.